Welcome to the Women on the Rise podcast. I'm Jen Blandos, and this is where we talk about everything entrepreneurship, whether you are just getting started or you have a seven or an eight figure business. I bring you the latest insights, ideas, and inspirations and interviews with the most amazing female entrepreneurs. So it will inspire and motivate you to build the business of your dreams. Welcome to another episode of the Women on the Rise podcast. And today I'm joined by world-leading therapist, Marissa Peer, who is the founder of Rapid Transformation Therapy. Marissa, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you for inviting me. I am so delighted to, to have you. And before we kick everything off, maybe you would be able to tell everybody a little bit about um, Rapid Transformation Therapy and what it is and how you managed to found it. Well, I'd have to credit my clients for how I found it. You know, I think when you're a therapist, no matter how great your teacher is, you always have a second set of teachers or actually even greater. And that's every client you see will teach you something. You should always be glad for the difficult ones, the challenging ones, because they teach you even more. So my own clients would come back and say, you know, I've been in therapy for 10 years. What you did today was a game changer. Or they'd come back and say, that one thing you did or said or made me do or say has changed my life. And I got so much feedback. It wasn't always the same thing. But because I got feedback, and that was the most common thing, how come you could fix me so fast when I've been in therapy for a long time? But of course, it wasn't me. It was the techniques I was creating. And so I gradually collated everything my clients told me. And so if one client said, that that changed my life, I'd use it on the next one. I'd also say, well, that was amazing. And so I gradually put together a technique, a formula that was kind of foolproof, actually. And then people would say to me, hey, you know, I know you're in London, but I'm in Alabama or Sydney or Georgia or New Zealand, and I want to see someone like you. But there was only one of me. Mm. And I still wasn't convinced that I ever would teach it. But then Wayne Dyer, who I loved, and he was a great friend and died, had said something amazing. He said, do not die with your music still playing inside you. And that was very significant. I thought, yeah, you know... If I have this amazing technique, and it, it's it's not me, it's the technique that's amazing, then surely I should have a legacy and I should pass that on because what's the point of having it if it ends when I end? And so I decided to create one school. My husband, actually, I, I have to credit my husband too because the thought of doing a training, I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is like I've got to create a syllabus, a program, mm. a brochure, find the students, find a place to do it. And my husband, bless him, said, I'll do everything. He'd owned a comedy club for 20 years. And he said, I know about putting talent on stage. You just turn up with a uh, syllabus and I'll do the whole thing. And he did everything, actually. That is every entrepreneur's dream, isn't it? I have a husband like that. And <laughs> yes. I'm very lucky because he's a brilliant marketer and I'm a brilliant therapist. And so together it's a perfect storm, I suppose. So he, true to his word, did everything. And I said, well, just put on one and see what happens. So in December 2015, we put on the first one. And people came from all over the world. They came from Guam, from New Zealand, from Australia, from America, from Canada. It was like, wow. It was incredible. And they all said it was amazing. And that first course we did in December 2015, 80% of those people are still practicing as an RTT wow. therapist, which is good. And we had... um. Some cabin crew, flight attendants, police officers, uh, a brilliant lawyer, 
And they were all so interested. And so after we did the first one, we did more and more. But what RTT is, it's a much faster therapy. It's fast, it's direct, but it's also very powerful. Some would think, well, if it's fast, it's probably not very good. It's fleeting, it's temporary, it's a band-aid, but it isn't. It's rapid, but it's also incredibly transformational because it has a technique that is immensely powerful because therapy should always be based with about what does the client want? And what a client wants is this. They want to be taken out of pain as fast as you can possibly get them out of pain, whether that's the pain of, you know, I have irritable bowel or migraines because I'm stressed or I blush or my skin breaks out, the pain of I can't find love, I, I can't succeed, I can't speak in public, I can't follow my dreams. It's all painful whether the pain is psychosomatic or not, it doesn't matter. Mm. And every client will say, well, can you get me out of pain today? And, of course, here's another thing. If you go to the doctor or the dentist and say, they go, of course. Your tooth's chipped, your knee's chipped, you put your back out. Of course, I'm going to get you out of pain today. That's my job. But therapy says, I might get you out of pain when we built a long relationship over time also might just get you to know who you are and learn to be yourself. And that's very nice. But when you're in pain, I don't, I'm not sure that's what you really want. I mean, I spent 35 years asking clients, what do you want? They all said the same thing. I want to be out of pain now. And what they really want is freedom and empowerment. And so that's, I created a program to give them exactly that. So powerful because... Why should you have to wait yeah. months or years? Yeah, imagine if, a dentist saying that or a doctor saying, right? well, yeah, it'll take a long time, but one day we'll get there together. But it, it's it's interesting when it comes to areas like mental health mm. that the the work and the research hasn't progressed in the same way that other areas of medical science has. Yeah. And the research that has progressed has told us something very interesting there is no way of ever finding out if you have a chemical imbalance in your brain. There's no way you can ever test for that ever. And that was not created by doctors. That was created by a drug company. They said, oh, you've got a chemical imbalance. Yeah. So, you know, many clients come in and they go, you know, I've got these headaches or I've got stomach aches or I've got a nervous twitch or I pull out my eyelashes or I scream at my kids and I feel so bad. But the presenting problem is really the problem. The problem is what I call unfinished business. It's something to do with your past. Mm. And, you know, we're all taught, well, the mind is very complicated and it takes a lifetime to understand it, but it really doesn't. A, it's not complicated at all. It doesn't take a lifetime. And I found that there are very... Most clients have the same issue when you when you go back to this unfinished, but it's always the same three things. And if you can treat those, you can treat anything. So when I began to teach therapy, I'd say, look, when you're treating addicts, you've got to treat the real core issue, which is I'm not enough. I've worked with hundreds of thousands of addicts. I've never met one ever who would ever say, oh, I'm enough. There we go, I'm not enough. I need more of something. But do you find the I'm not enough is pretty much the root cause of most things because I find 80% of things yeah because I find even when, when we're talking about entrepreneurs I think so many of us and so many women that I talk to a lot of the 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 challenges that they have is that they have this feeling from when they were a child yeah that they didn't feel that they were enough yeah. or that they told that they weren't good enough at something 
I think if you feel you're not enough, and I certainly felt it, you're in very good company. I think 80% of us have that. You know, we know that 80% of women have imposter syndrome. What is that? Imposter syndrome is I'm not, who am I? I'm not really good enough. Yeah. I'm a fake. I'm winging this. One day you're going to find out I'm not enough. And so imposter syndrome is really a new label for the, I don't really, I can fool everyone. Yeah. I can't really fool myself. It's funny how how we do that to ourselves. I was talking mm. to a friend of mine in Australia last week and she's a very successful businesswoman and she's grown her business really quickly. The first year she did a million and then the next year she did $2 million. And she said to me, she said, do you know, it's just in the past couple of weeks when I've realized I did $2 million this year that it wasn't a fluke. She said, I hit a million dollars last year. And she said, I kind of felt it was a fluke and I didn't think that I was good enough and that maybe the next year I wasn't going to hit that. So I, I didn't celebrate it. And she said, it's only now that I've realized that it's not a fluke. And she's like, why do I use this language with myself? It's and the answer to that is that, you know, nobody is born like that. No baby says, oh, it's a fluke. I managed to get a banana right? in my mouth. You know, when you're a kid, you get a round of applause just for peeing in the toilet, just for getting a spoon. Like, oh, my God, they fed themselves. They said the word cookie. Look how smart my kid is, you know. And I remember that with my little girl. You clap when they do something yeah. simple. When they say ball, you go, oh, you said ball. And so it cannot be that we're born with this. We, we we have to acquire. And that's a great thing about RTT. We come at it from this particular observation that very few things we are born with. No baby is born saying, I'm shy. I don't like being I don't like being the center of attention. I'm I'm unable to leave food. I can't sleep with a light on. I get stressed out by whatever. So we know that all of our issues tend to be acquired. And the good thing is if you acquire them, you can get over them. But where do we get them? And we get them pretty much by comparison. You know, we know that expression, comparison is a thief of joy. Some of the best meaning parents will say things like, you know, your sister could read when she was five. Your brother could walk when he was one. Your cousin, oh, yeah. they could do that. And then we go to school and schools do streaming, even at age seven, which I think is just the most terrible thing to yeah. do because you stream kids according to ability and you always reward achievement, not effort. And smart kids can spend half an hour writing an essay and the others might have spent three hours or three days, but they don't get the prize. And so we learn very quickly, oh, I'm not good enough. They can do that and I can't. And of course, if schools could say, Everyone's got a gift and kids who are good at art aren't, that's their gift. And kids are good at science and kids are good at IT. But schools are actually to be good at everything and that's impossible. You can never be good. It, you, you know, we say to people, you don't want to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. You're supposed to find your one gift and be amazing at it. But schools don't say that, hey, you're so good at IT, you don't have to learn Latin. Right. Don't worry about PE, IT, you're a genius. That's yeah. where you're going to go. You know, in Finland, children self-select their lessons because they know the kids will go to what they're gifted at and that's where they will go in life. But we don't do that. We try to make kids go to everything and instead we make them feel a failure. So it starts with parents, school, and now we've got something else that makes us feel terrible called social media. Mm. You can go on a site and ask them to grade you like an egg. What am I? Oh, you're a... D. And, you know, we have kids going on these sites saying, could you grade me? Am I okay? Do I look okay? Do I matter? And the usual answer is no. 
But you shouldn't give agency to who you are to anyone else but yourself. It's it's so interesting, especially like what what you're saying about school resonates so mm. much with me, um, and so many other people I know that so much damage was done to people mm. when they were in school. I remember. I was always, you know, having all of these ideas and never really fitting in at school and having teachers tell me, you're never going to go anywhere in life. You're stupid. You'll be lucky if you graduate from Mm. high school and go to university. And I mean, lucky for me, it was like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to do this. (laughs) Don't Mm. you tell me I'm not smart. But a lot of other kids as well, it, it damages them. They look at it and they're like, oh, I'm so stupid because I'm not good at maths, but you might be amazing at sport or yeah. amazing at graphic design. And there's not the the valuing of that in a way. No, you know, Richard Branson called his company Virgin because he had really no idea what he was doing, but he had an entrepreneur's mindset. And he talks, and many of them do, about how at school they were told those words, you'll never make it. I yeah. was told that too. You're not good. Why can't you do that? And, you know, some of the most successful in the world were told you will never make it. You're just not good at maths or English or science. Why can't you get it? And yet what we have to all understand is that every kid is tremendously gifted. And your job on the planet is to find your own gift, be amazing at it, and take it to market. And you only have to have one thing. You know, there's a girl called Jane Asher in the UK, used to be Paul McCartney's girlfriend, and she's, she just makes cakes. That's all she does. She's made books of cakes. I was going to get one of her cakes for my wedding. It was like 800 pounds, so I didn't get it. But she doesn't even do chicken recipes or salads. It's just cakes. I'm the cake queen. And I love that, that, you know, we see certain people. I have a friend who just does eyebrow shaping. She's incredibly wealthy. And that's all she's ever done in her life, shaped eyebrows. But there are people now who just do one thing. But isn't that fabulous? Yeah, right? just do one thing. Yeah. Like, you know, or we might say Joe Wicks, <clears throat> who in, in lockdown, Joe Wicks is an English guy yeah. who sort of reinvented working and became a millionaire. And he didn't do anything new. Doing workhouse has been around since the 60s. Yeah. But he also didn't say, I'm also going to teach you yoga and Pilates, it's just, I'm going to teach you how to work it in your home. Yeah. Do this kind of Air Force exercises and get fit. And he did. And he was so smart as well with yeah. Joe that he he was the solution to every single Everything. PE teacher's problem of course. as well. I remember he did my kids' PE lessons. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. And, they, were, yeah. they were like, why, why are we going to teach you online? We're just going to give you Joe Wicks' exercises. And look at yeah. Lululemon. Did they yeah. invent black leggings? Absolutely not. They'd also been around for 30 years, I think, but they took mm-hmm. something that was already there. And made it amazing. And said, yeah. not only do you not have to be good at everything, you don't have to be an inventor. You can find someone else's idea. James Dyson took a vacuum cleaner because he noticed his wife emptying the bag and all the dust was coming. Well, that's a bit crazy. She just vacuumed the dust and that's all coming out. So he just created a bagless vacuum. I think he charged 10 times the price of a normal right. one. And um, so it isn't about... You know, are you super smart? Are you a genius? It's what can you look at in life? What is your gift? What is your unique skill set? And I think for parents, you say to our kids every day, what makes your heart sing? Mm. 
What do you love? Because what you love doing as a child is a key indicator of what your unique skill set is. Jo Malone was making perfume when she was eight. My friend who's a strategist was making puzzles when they were six. J.K. Rowling was probably writing books all her life, writing stories. If we can go back and think, what did I love to do? Because really it's very hard to be good at something you hate. Mm. You've got to love what you do, do what you love, become amazing at it, and then monetize it. Yeah. And that actually sounds hard, but it's not hard. It's, Especially if you love it, right? Like if yeah. it's something you love. Yeah. And most people so will say, you know, I love it. I love my job. Like Martha Stewart, I met her a few years ago. I thought she was like, outstanding. She looks incredible. She's 82. And she still loves homewares and baking and cooking. And, you know, you'll look at a lot of musicians and artists are still performing in their 80s because they love it. So it's always better to find something you love. Like, you know, mm. you can see when Jamie Oliver's and how much he loves food and cooking and shopping. And I can't imagine being a chef because that's not my passion. But I'm glad it's someone else's. But the trick in business really is to do something in three stages. And the first stage is, and it's the most important, even before you know what you really want is to say, I'm worthy of success. I'm deserving of success. I can have success. I'm going to it. It's coming to me because 80% of your success at anything is down to mindset. You have to have the success yes. mindset. And we don't teach that in schools. No. And I mean, we so often get into our own way. Yeah. And I, I see this even with friends who have incredibly successful businesses and, and this is why I think it's useful to have friends who are entrepreneurs. Mm, that you go course. through those phases where you have that doubt and you question if you can do it or if you're good enough. And when you have those people, I think, who have businesses, mm. that they can help you with that mindset in a way, I think, where people who don't have businesses can't yeah. because they don't get that. They because, can show you what they did. Yeah. And, you know, successful people leave clues all the time. Mm. So... Think of someone who's in a business you'd like to be in. That could be retail or creating a product. And then go and have a look at what did they do. You know, I met two people in the last couple of years who said, I couldn't get my goods into, so I had to beg, plead. But I kept going back and kept going back and kept going back. And all of a sudden, the one particular girl I'm talking about is now one of the most successful makeup brands in Sephora. But they wanted to cancel her. They thought she was a huge disappointment. And so you can always find someone who said, I came from nowhere. Yeah. Like Sarah Blakely. I mean, Spanx. Yes. Shapewear isn't new. It's been around. My mother had shapewear in the 70s. Yeah. I think they called it girdles then or control yes, wear. Yeah. But it's not new. But she took an idea and she revolutionized it. And then Skims came along and did the same thing. So you don't have to think, oh, my God, i got to get a factory and i got to do this. Just look at something out there and think, could I make this even better? But the first thing is always to have this belief. So you've got to, every day when you wake up, whatever it is you want, say, I'm worth it. I, I'm worthy of success. I deserve my product to be the best product. I deserve this to be amazing. I'm worth this being incredible. And when you've done that first bit, so when I wanted to write a book, I had to keep saying, I deserve to see my book in the windows of bookshops. I deserve, I want to see people in airports reading my book. I deserve to have my book in the top 10 
deserve it to be reviewed. And I really would focus on that a lot because the mind can't go in two directions. Yeah. You can't drive your car in two lanes. If you're in this lane of I deserve it, you can't be in that, oh, my God. Mm. I don't, who am I? And I don't have any experience. And what if everybody hates it? What if it gets awful reviews? So the mind can't hold conflicting beliefs, which is very good news because if you keep it on one belief, it can't go to the other one. I'm going to write a book, it might be a disaster. I'm going to write a book, it might get, it might not even get printed, published. So you got to, you got to take your mind where you want it to go. You got to think of your mind as like being a wild horse and you're an inexperienced rider, but you can learn how to make a horse tame. It's like if someone gave you a Ferrari, you go, I don't know how to ride, drive that, but you can have Ferrari driving lessons. Yeah. And your mind is the Ferrari. And you are the driver of that Ferrari and you've got to learn to make it go where you want it to go. So your first step is I'm worth it. Your second step is to really take a long, hard look at what you want. But let's say, you know, I thought I wanted a restaurant. I opened one. I had no idea. It was a seven-day week, like 14 hours a day because we don't really look at what we want. Yeah. So I wanted to write a book. That was fine. And when I looked at what I wanted, I saw very clearly, well, actually, I don't want to write a book. I want to write a best-selling book that changes people's lives. And now I'm going in the right lane because I'm getting more and more clear about what I want. But I also knew something else. Writing a book isn't enough, isn't even maybe enough, unless you also know how to market the book, sell the book. And so anything that you require requires something. If you want to be a writer, you better learn to be a speaker you want to be a great therapist, you have to learn to be a mother. The days of I'm a therapist with a little advert in the yellow pages, well, they're gone and they're never coming back. So you have to learn, even as a writer, you have to look at what titles are selling. What are people looking for? You know, I just found out this year that next year people are looking for transformational retreats. That's the big buzzword. There's always something new coming up. And how could you get involved in that? So you have to sort of really look at what you want and understand what it requires. What are you going to have to learn? Because it's not enough to say, I've got my skill, I've got a yeah. shop, I've got a product, I've, I'm a therapist, I'm a coach. You have to learn what else do you need to do to perfect your craft because you've got a gift. But now you've got to go into the art of perfecting it. And we're so lucky with YouTube. You can learn how to mm. make yourself even better. So find your gift becoming amazing at it, and then step three, take it to market. But you can't do step three if you haven't done step one because if you don't believe you're worth yeah. it, how can you ask people to invest in you, promote you, partner with you? And that, that becomes part of your personal brand course, as well. And, yeah. and I think it's really interesting speaking to some entrepreneurs that they're like, no, 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 I'm not interested in my personal brand. All I care about is the business. Mm. Like, but you are the business are people the business. people are seeing you it doesn't matter how big your business no. is they want to know who the founder is they want yeah. to know who the person is behind As in that Sarah Blakely again yes we look at people who are the Martha Stewart again we look at the founder Nigella Lawson we go oh I like you Jamie Oliver and these people have huge brands but we look at the founder would you say for some people, I'm thinking of some entrepreneurs who, who are kind of stuck in this and it is something that they really want the business to work, but then they still have, they're, they're dealing with a lot of the mind monkeys mm. as well. Of, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Maybe I can, maybe I can't. Are there any um, 
practices that people could get into the habit of doing that would make it a bit easier? You know, a lot of people, I think they forget and they sell what they want to sell, but the practice is what do people want? What are you selling? You know, who is your market? So I'm sure mm. most entrepreneurs know this, but you have to sit down and say, what am I selling? Who is my market and what do they want? You know, even as a writer, you can't write what you want. You've got to write what people want to buy. Yeah. You know, if everyone's suddenly reading misery memoirs, what they were about 10 years ago, that was a big thing, then you should be writing that. And so you have to know your market. Again, you've really got to learn marketing. I mean, I didn't even know what search engine optimization was. And when I wrote my fourth book, it was called Get Pregnant. And I realized that's a very silly title because, first of all, being pregnant does not mean you'll ever have a baby. You can have eight pregnancies. But then I looked at SEO what people search for all the time is trying to get rid. Now, I hate the word trying. As a therapist, trying implies failure. I say trying is very trying. I'd never write a book with the word trying. But I had to call my book Trying to Get Pregnant and Succeeding because that's what people search for. Even though it mm -hmm. went against everything I believed in as a therapist, the word trying is a terrible word. We never say, look, try not to eat cake, try not to drink, try to stop smoking, try not to shout at your kids tonight. We don't say that because trying by nature implies failure. But so as a therapist, I didn't like that. As a marketer, I knew that that was the word that would sell that book. So that's what I called it. Marketing is everything. It's everything. It's everything and it's in not business hard now. To learn. And I, I don't know if you find you've been in you've been an entrepreneur longer than yeah. than me. I've been doing this for about twenty five years now. And marketing wasn't such a big thing when I started mm. my business. And now it is everything. And I find as a business owner, even though I'm not doing all of it, you need to understand all of it because it shapes all the decisions that you make in your business now. And you'll find that people who have a best-selling product have a marketing team behind them always, always, always. And, and that's the other problem is that a lot of people say, well, I'll do it myself. I mean, I'll do the everything, but it's hard to, because it, maybe it isn't your gift to be a marketer. So you should give that. To, so I, many people employ a PR now and a marketing team, because if your gift is to be creative, it can't also be your gift to do everything mm -hmm. else as well. And that's, um, I see that, that as your business starts to grow, because when you start, you are doing everything. Mm. And then as your business starts to grow, all of a sudden it is, well, I want to do the creation, but I also need to do the marketing and yeah. update the website and all of these things that you do need to let go of those now things. you're back to being jack of all trades. Of course. In, in Master and you know, I, I used to take my little girl every year to feed homeless people at Christmas. And I'd always say to them, well, in the group, it wasn't just me. I belonged to a group of people that would help to try and get homeless people off the streets. We'd say, what can you do? they go, I can do everything. I'm a carpenter. I'm a chef. I'm an electrician. I'm a painter. I'm, and they could do so many things. But none of them ever said, oh, I've got one gift. And I always thought that was interesting how they could do so many things badly. Yeah. But not one thing amazingly, because by nature, you can't. I mean, because my business got bigger and bigger and bigger. Many things that I used to do, I had to just give them to someone else because you end up doing everything. You're spinning plates. You're doing everything 
without giving it 100%. You think, okay, I'm answering every email. I'm going on, I'm answering everyone on Facebook and Instagram and yeah. YouTube. And I'm still writing another product. I'm writing my new book. And then I'm teaching here and I'm marketing. Then it just becomes impossible. You end up doing it all badly. And that becomes your barrier mm. to growth as well. And yeah. I notice that that's kind of the difference between a six and a seven figure business. Mm. It's kind of like you can do that when you're at six figures mm. but when you almost reach seven figures no, that doesn't work and some people have a fear like you know I, for instance I, I have a girl called Rosie who was my PA for a long time and she is a brilliant writer much better than me and I go Rosie you can write all the copy because you're better than I yeah. am but a lot of people say well I don't like that now I'm jealous of that person they can't be better and it can be very hard to get in staff that are better than you because then it makes you feel, oh, but I'm supposed to be the head of this. But you have to get past that. But I think the biggest sign of success is when you can step out yeah. and let other people run it. And also credit them and say, this yeah. person is amazing. I couldn't do it without them. My, you know, my sister, for instance, wrote a lot of my school program and she did such a phenomenal job. And I could never have done that without her or indeed my husband. But I, it, it can be hard because if someone is better than you, that doesn't that mean you're less than them? No, it just means they've got a different talent. We can't all have the same talent. How boring that would be. If we all do everything, well, that and, would be boring. And I think some people do have this fear, and it probably goes back to maybe things that we've experienced earlier on in life, that it is, well, if I let these people in, if I let them be better than me, will they take over my business? Yeah. Will they, like go and set up something else and copy me. Sure. And we need to let go of that because our business is successful because yeah. of the the flair that we bring yeah. to it. I was just reading Felix Dennis this week and he was talking about that, how every time people left his company, he would encourage them, support them and wish them well. He said, first of all, I should be glad that I've got a company where people can leave. And secondly, if I'm nice to them and it doesn't work, they'll come back. Mm -hmm. But it's very hard. You know, I, I was speaking last year in Estonia and there was a girl there called Caitlin O'Toole and, she, and I was, she was a speaker. And I could see in that girl something amazing. She's going to be an amazing speaker. And I said to the Vision, Vision, you've got to give this girl a main stage. She's so good. She's going to be amazing. And I think you have a choice to go, oh, she's really good. She could overtake me. She could be better than me. You could be super jealous and go, I don't like that. Or you could go, you know what, why don't I get behind this girl and promote her and push mm. her because there's enough space for all of us. People think it's lonely at the top. It really it's isn't. It's not. And you should say to someone else, hey, you can do this. You know, when I teach therapists, I know that I teach people who are better than me. I already have seen it. So I've been teaching now for eight years. And every time I take a class, I say there might be someone in here who's going to be way better than me. First of all, you're younger than me. You've got enthusiasm. I've got experience, but enthusiasm can be every bit as good as experience. But I've never had any doubt that I'm training people who one day will be better than me, better than me, more successful. Who knows? But but you can't think, oh, I always want to be the boss and I'll teach you just enough, but you can't be better. You have to be excited that somebody will take what you've done yes. and go forwards with it. Because I, I think when you have that scarcity mindset, that it it, it tends to hold you back. Mm -hmm. Even if you're really successful, if you start to have that scarcity mindset and you yeah. don't want to share, you don't want to collaborate, mm. 
and your empathy is of other people. Yes. And, you know, it, it's okay. You know, I can look at other writers and go, well, some of them have got much better um, audiences than me. But that doesn't mean what I've written isn't good and hasn't mm. changed someone's life. You know, there is enough for everyone. And also it depends what you want. I mean, I've trained 17,000 therapists, which is a lot, 120 of them in this in here, out here in Dubai. And some of them say, you know what I really want? I'm in my community working with bullied kids, working with stress. I'm so happy because I've got a job with meaning and purpose and that's mm. all they want. And others say, oh, no, I want a book deal. I want a column in the paper. I want to be on the radio. And they've done that too. We've had some of our therapists been on the BBC. And so some cool. of them do have their own books and some of them are, do have their own columns in papers and magazines. But not everybody wants that level of success. And that's okay, too, to say, I actually don't want that. Somebody said to me a little while ago, once you have more than 40 staff, it's a whole different world in managing that. And so it's important to think, you know, what is success to you? It's also being at home with your kids, yeah, getting to spend time with them, not rushing out of the door. And so we have to... What someone else's success is not your success. In fact, all my clients are rich and famous will say the same thing. If I could choose again, I'd be rich, but I wouldn't be famous. And I don't want my kid to be famous ever. I've got so many clients who are actors, musicians, rock stars. I want my daughter to be a nurse, a school teacher. Because they see that the price they paid for the fame and the money was that they missed out on something maybe more authentic and real. And it's interesting they never want their kids to go into that business. Interesting. I mean, some people do. There are, of course, people who actively get their kids in that business, but most of them don't even want that. Brave the simplicity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because simple things are things that make you happy. And sometimes, you know, I see this that... for whatever reason within the entrepreneurial world, people see like being successful is I hit seven figures. Yeah. If I hit seven figures, I'm successful. Mm. But I look back and I say to people as well, seven figures does not mean you're successful because how much money are you spending on ads? How Mm. big is your staff? How much are you actually having as free time for yourself where you could be much more successful and happier and fulfilled having a business that does half a million, paying yourself a really great salary, not being too busy and having an amazing quality of life. Yeah, because quality of life is everything. When people die, you know, most people on their deathbed studies are shared. The thing they regret the most is not making an impact. So what does an impact look like to you? Is it impacting the whole world? Is it impacting your community? Is it just impacting a few people? And again, as a therapist, I see that. You know, I think being a therapist is the best job in the world. I can't imagine ever doing anything else. And I don't ever plan to retire because I give a lot, but you get so much back. It's that great balance of you give and receive. But you, you again, you have to decide, but what do I want? You know, and I, I didn't start writing till my daughter was older because I didn't want to be on a plane traveling around when she was a little girl. I, I started that, but I didn't really ever leave her properly until she was about 15. And even then it was hard. Yeah. But I quite, and if somebody recently said, you know, I've got this offer of success, what shall I do? And I said, wait five years. You have three small kids at home. So many women say, you know, I never saw, I missed the first steps. I missed all of this. 
And if you can wait, not for everyone, but if you can wait, it's better to wait a bit because so many women have tremendous regret. The price I paid for this was I didn't see my children. My children turned around and told me, well, you were never there. We were raised by nannies. And I mean, that doesn't mean having a business and a nanny is, makes you a bad parent, but it yeah. depends what matters to you. Yeah, that's very profound. And I think a lot mm. of women struggle with that. That's why so many women train with us because they go, wow, yeah. you know, there's a job out there. There's a career where I can work my own hours. I can start at 10, finish at 3. Mm. I can take time off when my kid is sick. I don't have to work in the holidays. So there's a job that that's for, and I can set my own salary and I can see as many or as few clients as I like. And oh, I can be my own boss. Yeah. How long does it take for, for somebody if they were to, to take your program so they could go from starting to having their own business? So you're training as an RTT therapist and as a hypnotherapist. And so that's not the same as being a psychiatrist. You don't mm. have to have any background in human biology whatsoever. No experience in therapy is required. And it takes between six to nine months, depending on you, depending on where you've come from, what your background is. So between six to nine months, it's an online course with a live element. And now we actually teach marketing too. We used to just teach straight up, this is how to be the best therapy. This is the best therapy to need. But of course, therapists too, a little like artists are often sometimes fragile, not all, but they don't understand marketing. I'm a mm. therapist. I'm dealing with damaged people. I'm helping these bullied kids I'm helping these stressed out teens I'm helping people and and so we've had to tell them you you have to learn marketing yeah. and now part of the course is marketing we have amazing marketers teaching people how to craft your message because that's important what is your message are you going to niche is it good to niche what do you how you because we all have to have a message and if your message I can fix everyone everything all the time you're not going to attract anyone <laughs> no you need a particular it's even a great yeah. you know even a great hairdresser will say i'm a colorist mm. i don't cut hair i cut and say no i i cut because at the top you don't even have one hairdresser doing everything at all and i always thought that's so interesting you go to a sound they go well this person's going to cut it this is going to cut it and this is going to blow dry it because they've all got their own skill so don't dilute your skill i have a a question for you that I I think is really interesting how you mentioned that you're you're never going to retire and I'm curious to know a lot of women feel that they have this fear that there gets to a point that they're too old to mm -hmm. go and create a business to go and be an entrepreneur what's your view on that Again, I think that's why it's so amazing to be a therapist because it's one of the rare jobs where the older you are, the wiser you're seen. You know, um, business can be quite cruel to women, especially in that where well, you're too old now, you're past it. But there are certain careers, a teacher, a therapist, a writer, where your age becomes a sign of your wisdom. But I think industry is very unkind to women. It judges them what they look like completely. It judges them on their age, and then we say, oh, well, you know, you're past it now. And we see that all the time. Luckily, it's changing, body shaming, oh. age shaming. They're all changing. But I think it's very hard for women because they're judged. No one says to a guy, 
oh, you know, your kids at home, you should stay. One of my friends said to me, you know, if ever you need to stay home with your kid, never ring up the boss and say the big end of my car has gone or the heating's broken down or I've got a flood. But when you say my child's got a toothache, they don't really understand that at all. But now we have so many women mm-hmm. in industry doing so well that that's changed. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow is 51 and she's got goop and she started that. She must have started that in her 40s. Yeah. And there are a lot of women who start, I mean, Tina Turner started her solo career in her 40s. There are many women out there who've actually raised their children and then thought, what shall I do now? My kids have left home and sp- and then that's a good time. It's, it can be a hard time when you're in your 20s and you've got children. Um, but when you're older, wiser, more secure, you know who you are, that's often a good time. I mean, of course, I wasn't, I was in nearly 50 when I began, must when I began my first training. And that was perfect for me because it, I could devote all my time. My daughter was grown up. I didn't have to get home, you know, and I think for many women, they want to get home. They want to take their children to school, pick them up, be there for bedtime, bath time, and they should too. So I think actually for women, it's a great time in your 40s or 50s to start a career. You know, there are so many people who started a career late. I mean, Catherine Cookson began to write books at age 80. Somebody called Mary Wowsey is a very famous writer. She wrote The Camry Lawn at 82. Oh. Um, The guy who got the part of Martin in Frasier was 60 when he got that. He'd never even acted before. Really? Yeah. And I don't know if you ever watched Mm. Only Fools and Horses. You probably did. But but Uncle Albert also, he was a bank manager his whole life, retired, was very depressed. (laughs) Went into amateur acting for fun and got cast as Uncle Albert in Only Fools and Horses. But I did, I did do research on that because I love to back things mm. up with statistics. And, you know, I'm turning 50 next year. And one of the things that I read is that people over the age of 50, when they set up their businesses, they're more successful than sure. people in their 30s or 40s because you have the wisdom. Yeah. They used to say, if you haven't made it by 40, you never will. And that simply isn't true. Yeah. It used to be true. I mean, the guy who wrote Angela's Ashes, I mean, he was a school teacher his whole life, retired, thought, I'm a bit bored. All I've taught is writing. And he wrote a best-selling book. book. An yeah. amazing book, a beautiful book. And so it's true that in your 50s you have the energy, the passion, the dedication. And there are so many people who've taken a business at 50 and made it amazing and we should keep hearing about those because people talk about, you know, youth and how, you know, you've got energy. But when you're older, you have passion and wisdom and dedication, which is just as important. Mm. I would love to hear your take as well on the language that we use, because um, I think that's quite important. And I notice this sometimes and I even got called out on this um, the other day. I was talking to one of my entrepreneurial friends in Australia and she said to me, forget what I said, but she's like, will you stop using negative language to describe yourself? Mm. She's like, stop doing that. It's so damaging for you. Don't do it. And I thought I'm the most positive person that I know. And I didn't even realize that mm. I was was doing that. Yeah, the way you feel about everything, and I do mean everything, only comes down to two things ever, the pictures you make in your head and the words you say. And you could even say it comes down to one thing because the words you form 
create the pictures that you form. And so if we could all understand that we feel about everything is down to the language you're using, your words shape your reality. If you don't like your reality, go back and have a look at what you're saying. And we often say that this will be the death of me, this is killing me, this is driving me crazy, I'm insane with stress, I'm exhausted, I could eat a horse, I'm mm. starving. And of course the mind is very literal, so whatever you tell it, not only does it believe it's true, it also has to work to make it true. And if only we could teach that in schools, that your mind's job and your body's job too is making your thoughts real. When you think of something sad, your eyes fill up with it. Think of something embarrassing and you can often go bright red. Think of food, you think, oh, I'm, my stomach is rumbling. <laughs> think about sex, you often can feel aroused. But here's the biggie. What you think about a drug will affect you more than what's in it. What you believe a drug will do. Because the mind's job is to start making your thoughts. But when you know that, then you think, oh, well, now I know my job. Mm. Think better thoughts. So when you hear yourself using a word, because we have thoughts, we have beliefs. A belief is just a thought you think a lot. So when you say, oh, I'm not really good enough. Oh, that was just a fluke. I don't know how I pulled that. When someone says, hey, this is great, and you go, I don't know how I did that. Or, oh, it's just a fluke. It was just luck. You know, we're very bad also. Women are very bad at two things, accepting praise and praising themselves. Yeah. And if you understand something, understand this, there is nothing that will make your self-esteem grow like praise. And your own praise means more than the praise of other people. So when you're saying this is going to go wrong and, oh, I'm doing this so badly and I'm so stressed and I can't go and I'm, I'm going to mess up that presentation... I've made this product, it's really not good enough. You have to un try and understand what you're doing because while you and I can choose what we say, the mind can't choose, mm -hmm. it has to react. So, you know, I worked with someone just this week who was saying to me, I'm overwhelmed. And I said, that's not a great word for me. Overwhelmed, you're not overwhelmed. Why not say, I'm busy, but I've got phenomenal coping skills. I'm busy but I can power through stuff and get it done. And then I've got the whole weekend to chill. But the word I'm overwhelmed is such a negative word because yes. now the mind's going to have to make that real. <clears throat> what does overwhelm look like and feel like? It feels terrible. But if you say, I'm busy, but I've got amazing coping skills. I can do this. I can get through it. And then I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to have a lovely 